Good afternoon. It's Friday the 23rd of December 2022, just after one o'clock. Welcome to UK Column News, your host today. Myself, Brian Garish, I'm joined by Patrick Henningsen here in a very warm and delightful recently refurbished studio. So I hope our viewers will appreciate the uh, overall decor. And uh, we've got a packed house today because we are joined uh, by Mike, who's talking to us from Northern Ireland. Uh, we've also got uh, David Scott talking to us from north of the border. We've got Debbie Evans in the depths of Cornwall. We've got our very own Katie Joe in the London area. And uh, we've got Alex, uh, who is in the Netherlands. So welcome to all of our UK column viewers and listeners. And we're delighted to be here for this uh, special end of season Christmas edition. Patrick, how are you? I'm doing very well, Brian. Thank you. It's, uh, it's getting uh, very close to the day, making last minute arrangements, Yeah. running around okay. frantically. Doing that, that, that very, very last minute shopping. Well, the first thing we're going to pop up on screen is, of course, some of you may have noticed that a member of the team is missing, and that's Mark Anderson. And we wanted to say, Mark, we are thinking of you. We know you're watching. We're very sorry we couldn't make the link. Uh, but uh, stay warm in that big US uh, freeze that we're hearing about. I believe it's connected to Storm Elliot, which impressed my wife because previously she was an Elliot and she's proud to have a storm named after her. Uh, but Mark, we want to wish you a happy Christmas and uh, we'll be very happy to have you back on screen with us in the new year. Now, for... Um, viewers with a weak uh, disposition, brace yourself because I thought it was appropriate to pop this up on screen. Uh, just to have a little bit of a flashback as to what it looked like on the 17th of December. Actually, that should be 17th of December 2021. Of course. So the gremlins got me, but that was how the studio was. We were all looking younger, of course, but here we are um, at the end of yet another year. Where did it go? Where that was your design, of course, Patrick. That was. I'm just a bit horror traumatized <laughs> looking at the at the bulbs on that tree, Brian. I don't know if you bring that back what? up, but there are some very scary uh, faces on there. Uh, that was little Covey, I think, to together with the criminal elite uh, who yeah. are running the country. <laughs> right. So, yeah, okay. Well, there we go. So, David, we're going to bring you on straight away because um, I believe it was that particular news edition where you. You felt you did a good job in uh, talking about what was going on, but also making some predictions. So uh, tell us what you've got in store for us. You've, you forced us last year to make predictions, which was quite a, it's always a challenging thing. Um, and uh, by good luck or good guidance, I'm not quite sure which, uh, what I came up with, we'll come to that in a minute, but it, it, it it bore out rather well. Um, so to try and pull this off a second year is, is obviously a challenge. Uh, and there's a couple of areas that I want to, uh, I want to talk about very briefly here. Uh, one's the economy. It's a fascinating time in uh, economic terms because we have this situation where in order to cure the inflation, the rising prices that uh, the inflation of the money supply caused, the central banks are raising interest rates. And this is causing the prices of bonds to fall. 
uh, hugely. And this is it's a, these bonds that the entire banking system, including the central banks, are supported on. They're stuffed full of these things. So we've now seen headlines about the Bank of England having a £188 billion hole, which you and me and all the other UK taxpayers will have to fill. And we've got uh, huge losses at the Fed. And, and it's fascinating watching this play out. At some point, I would predict this year, the whole thing will need to pivot. And they'll have to stop uh, raising interest rates and tightening economic policy because the banking system and the bonds that underpin it will be reaching a point of crisis, a point of collapse. And they'll have to turn, and it'll probably be quite quick. And then we'll go back to increasingly easy money and, um, and money creation. And they'll, they'll try and persuade us that this is a huge success. And it won't be. It'll be another step towards the end of the dollar, the end of paper money. Talked about this last year. I think it's going to develop a lot further this year. So there's going to be crises ahead economically. And um, all of the assurances that we're getting from Powell, head of the Fed, and, uh, and, and people at the Bank of England, that we're, we're, we're set on our course. We're not going to change. We're determined. We're going to beat inflation. Yeah, forget that. That's going to be jettisoned when the crisis hits and it's a choice between the banking system or inflation, we'll just have to put up with inflation and they'll go back to money printing because that's the only trick they have left. Before I go on to prediction two, have you any thoughts on that, gentlemen? Well, well, I was going to say, perhaps we could bring uh, Mike up on screen because I'm. Uh, if your voice is up to it, Mike, I'm interested to know what you think because you've always been pretty hot on the, on the money side. So... Can, can we manage Mike on screen? We can. Yes. Uh, well, I mean, I agree with everything David has said there. I think that uh, um, it's pretty clear now that, that all the central banks are either already piloting or very close to piloting uh, their own central bank digital currencies. I think, I think that uh, there's a recognition within the financial system, within the, the central banking system at least, that, uh, that uh, the dollar is finished. Um, in the medium term, um, and I think they're they're preparing the next uh, the next thing, and uh, of course, <laughs> the next thing, as we've said, is central bank digital currencies, and with that comes uh, even more control of our uh, of our lives, of our purchasing habits, of our behaviours, um, and it's it's alongside the central bank digital currencies comes all the uh, behavioural. Uh, manipulation that we saw during the COVID period. So so we're going to see that on steroids. Um, so, you know, everything, I agree with everything David has said. Okay, thank you very much for that. Well, you, uh, Patrick, I'm looking at you. You're the man who's often had dollars in your pocket. You're getting worried. Well, look, we know, we know what it is. We know what the agenda is. Uh, it's been telegraphed, the Bank of England's telegraphed it, uh, the United States. Federal Reserve, the private central banks have tele telegraphed the CBDC, the central bank digital currency. We know what it, what it is. We know what the problems are. We know how uh, unfair and how ruthless and what a t tyrannical uh, digital uh, uh, yoke that is going to be. Yeah. So if we know all this and we know it in advance, can anything be done to thwart it? Can anything be done to stop it? Or are we just basically helpless and we're just going to get pummeled by this, uh, is this a fait accompli? 
Uh, and that's the question that I'm thinking about a lot because I see a lot of people talking about it. But what uh, are we going to do about we've it? We've been raising the issue uh, here and myself and others since 2021 uh, when it became official. Uh, so here we are, we're over a year and a half later, since May 2021 yeah. is when the Bank of England announced that they're piloting this, uh, they're working on it, programmable currency. So it's, it's, a, it's a horrific dystopian future. What, what, what can we do about it? This is the big question. Well, my take on what we can do about it is we have to explain to people that the control of the money supply needs to be put in the hands of people who are responsible and have our best interests at heart. Let's come back to you, David. Uh, Patrick has put in the key question there. What do we do about it? Control of the money supply has to be returned to the people who have the best interests at heart, namely the people that uh, money's a free market phenomenon and uh, it doesn't require central control. The traditional way of doing this was it was gold and silver, money with integrity, as our friend Sheikh Imran Hussein said in the interview we did with him during the year. Now, uh, the push to get more and more control in people is certainly real. Uh, central bank digital currency is one particular particularly concerning aspect of this. But there's two others which are, are pushing from the top and from the bottom onto society to change how we behave. And those are uh, SEL, social and, uh, social and emotional learning. So this is to change how children learn, how people think uh, once they've come through that educational programme. We're going to have a, a special looking at these issues in the new year. Uh, and the other one, the top down one, that's bottom up, that's changed in society from the bottom, starting with the children. The top, the top down one is ESG, environmental and social governance. So that's applied to corporations, businesses and governments to force changes in their policy. Uh, and I've got an example of this from Bonnie Scotland to share with you today. Uh, this, the Scottish Government uh, has rolled out its new anti-racist employment strategy, um, which they tell us is going to make a fairer, for, a fairer Scotland for all. The word fairer crops up a lot, uh, mostly because it doesn't really mean anything specific. And this is a strategy, uh, it's a call for action and a guide. So you see the kind of uh, almost religious language, this is, comes from cultural Marxism, this is where it's coming from. Uh, to address the issues and disadvantage experienced by people from uh, racialised minorities in the labour market in Scotland. This is a slightly odd formulation of the English language there. It's a key component in achieving our, our ambition to become a leading fair work nation. So you see these strange phrases coming up. What does fair work nation actually mean? We'll come to that in a moment. So the minister responsible for this, Richard Lockhead, uh, wrote a foreword to the policy. He said, addressing inequality in the workplace involves everyone that contributes to and makes decisions within a labour market and economy. So there's no escape, everyone has to be involved. Commitment to diversity and inclusion. So he, you see the buzzwords, diversity and inclusion, uh, which don't mean what you think they mean. Uh, will not only help us build a well-being economy. What does that mean, gentlemen? A well-being economy. They can't define well-being, but we're going to build an economy based on it. A well-being, essentially, it means happiness. It means, a well, it means an economy in which, well, you'll own nothing and be happy, I suspect. 
uh, well-being economy, it will also help us uh, towards becoming a leading fair work nation. Here we see this kind of trademark term again. Benefiting employers, workers and wider society. Now, if it did actually do all of these things, you wouldn't need to push it politically. So, because uh, everyone would want to do it anyway. So that, that seems a bit dodgy. The Scottish Government wants Scotland to be a place where every person has the same opportunities to enter, sustain and progress their careers in a safe, diverse and inclusive labour market. Right? Now, diverse doesn't mean diversity of opinion, it means uniformity of opinion. Diversity means uniformity, essentially. Um, and we see these words, diverse and inclusive, these are cultural Marxist terms, don't mean what you think, and safe. Right, because we've learned from COVID, we must be safe. So Richard Lockhead, speaking directly to the employers of Scotland, said, I look to employers to demonstrate bold, transparent leadership. If anyone can tell me what that is, I'd be very interested. To be the agents for change, um, actively challenging and addressing the structures of inequality in our institutions. So we see it's structuralism, again, cultural Marxist terms, and here we see the agents for change, change agents, a topic, Brian, you've been talking about for well over a decade, is now government policy, and we have government ministers instructing the employers of Scotland to be change agents. Uh, the action, support and advice in this strategy aligned with, with and incorporated into a wider, refreshed Fair Work Action Plan provide a means to help deliver this. So we'll come to the Fair Work Action Plan just in a moment. Um, have you any comments before I go on, gentlemen, on, on where this is going with uh, state-appointed change agents are now your employer? So that's an open question for David. Is there in any of the team that we've got with us who'd like to comment on that? <laughs> Debbie, well done. I, <laughs> let's, bring a few, <laughs> let's bring a few faces on screen. Yeah, welcome. Yeah, I'm... Oh, thank you and happy Christmas, Merry Christmas to everybody. I've put a little bit of sparkle on. Um, yes, I think, Brian, you mentioned uh, this change and I looked at the NHS and these disruptors, you know, we've been talking about disruption and you said, going back to common purpose, this intention to employ disruptors and these change agents so I went to look up change agents because I hadn't heard about them until you told me about them, Brian. And uh, well, just all I'd say is watch out for the new year on UK Column News because the NHS is embedded up to its neck in change agents. So we're being disrupted, as you've always said, from within. There's com complete collapse from within. So that's just my two penner. Okay, thank you for that. Well, David, I'm going to push you on, on a little bit because I know that you've got some yeah. interesting video clips for just, us. Yeah, just, just, to, just to quickly uh, tidy up this area. Fair work. So there's all this talking about fair work. It's driving policy. And uh, I had a little look at where it's come from. Well, it's sponsored by the Ford Foundation, so these tax-exempt foundations, uh, the Federal Ministry of uh, Germany, uh, Federal Ministry for Economic Cooperation and Development, various other German institutions, uh, the city of Vienna, um, and uh, a lot of, uh, and the European uh, Research Council. So nothing Scottish, nothing British. It's international, it's globalist, and um, it's driving the, the policy of the Scottish government in a big way towards something that's absolutely central, employment. So the ideas 
that are shaping our societies are not being discussed in our parliaments, are not being discussed in our press, and are only being discussed in places like the UK column. They're being implemented, they're being forced on us. And this is the, this is the point I was wanting to make. Uh, my prediction for the next year is that this will become very much more obvious. There'll be a great deal of force applied to change society. It'll be much more blatant. Um, and as it becomes more obvious, that the resistance to it will start to uh, gather strength. Um, okay. Now, okay. if I can move on to last year, last year um, I've got a couple of um, extracts from uh, my predictions last year, so you can see how well I did, and in some cases, how well I didn't. Russia's calling, calling bullshit on the entire policy that um, the Ministry of Defence and, in fact, the whole Western defence establishment has been busy following for the last decade. Um, everything that General Sunit Carter ever said was down this line of hybrid warfare, the grey zone between peace and war, and the pennies dropping every time the Russians move a tank anywhere inside Russia that, that's on the right half of the country to be viewed as being on the borders of the Ukraine, the pennies dropping that this won't hack it, that what will ultimately matter is conventional military might. So my prediction in Russia is that what we're going to see is a return to old-fashioned military build-up, old-fashioned sabre-rattling, and perhaps um, conventional, at some point in the future, conventional warfare. But the concentration on on hybrid threats, on uh, on cyber threats, and on influencing one another's societies as a as a substitute for warfare will be seen to be um, the, uh, the the fevered imagination of uh, an intellectually failing Western elite that it, that it is. Um, and uh, are we going to apologise for the disgraceful language, or are you? It is a game. BS. It is a game. It's a card game. Oh right. You know, okay. When you when, when you when you put when you put cards down and you say what they are, but you don't show them, and if someone thinks you're lying, they they call the name of the game. So okay. as it's a, as it's a straightforward card game, I thought I thought that one might that that might have sneaked under the uh, very <laughs> severe UK column uh, no swearing ban. I see that I was wrong. And I apologise. Well, there's no need. That's, that's perfectly fine. So there we go. Told off by Mike, quite rightly so. Uh, but we, we were calling it correctly that uh, the the era of, of hybrid warfare was over and we were going to go back to real old-fashioned boots on the ground, missiles, artillery shells, and um, actual military might. And that, that is what is in the final analysis, going to count. Okay, David, thank thank you for that. And you've got you've got one more. Uh, you've got another clip, a I believe. A very a very short one. Yeah. It's a very short one on the economy, Brian. Uh, one more clip uh, from last uh, last Christmas. My my prediction: yes, more inflation, and then incoherent responses by the government, by the central banks, followed by more inflation, followed by more of the same. And ultimately, 
it's to the soundness of the money that we have to look with concerned eyes. Well, I, I still hold by that for the next year as well. Uh, I think, now, I, I think uh, we give you the prize for that one, David, because you did get that one spot on. Well, indeed, and, and your comments on Russia. So uh, to finish off um, my review of the year, I was looking through all the videos uh, that I submitted to the column in the last year. And what an interesting year it has been. I mean, there was fascinating stuff in, in there. So I picked one which we'll finish on. We'll get to that later, which, um, which, which encapsulated some of the joy that we've got from the column. And this next one encapsulates some of the, the spirit of resistance we've seen this year. And it's been fantastic to be, to be amongst and fantastic to see. And it is growing. And although the advance of people who are able to resist tyranny is, is slow, people don't tend to go back. Once they've broken away from the control and the fear, they don't tend to surrender a second time. Um, so the, the numbers resisting the, the COVID lockdown, the, the COVID tyranny, is just gradually increased and increased and increased. We've got a little video here from a, a demonstration in a small Scottish town of Kirkcaldy uh, with some uh, original music by someone who, who I think was actually at the demonstration as well. Um, and I thought it just summed up the spirit of the people who are resisting tyranny all across Britain, all across Canada, United States, New Zealand, Australia, and all across the world. Justice on its knees under crown The clawed out tarnages to our detriment In these clarty surrounds The combined earnings of our tenements Won't stretch to many rounds And yet we're striving to be counted We'll fight for what is right And we'll strike for what is rightfully ours And I want better for my boy To bury my father in dry Consecrated ground
David, thank you very much for that. If I've got this right, I think that band was King Creosote with Love from Scotland. Um, somebody will tell me if I've got that wrong, but yeah, very poignant and good to hear some really nice music and to see people standing up to be counted. So we'll, we'll say thank you very much for that little segment. And I think it's time to bring in Mike. Um, you're there in a comfy chair, Mike, but we do expect a little bit of work out of you today. <laughs> What have you got? Uh, to well, <laughs> look, D David's talking about, uh, you know, the, the move towards conventional warfare again and hybrid warfare taking a backseat. I think that's why well, I agree with the first point. The second point, less so. Uh, certainly, uh, cyber is always an ever present uh, uh, issue and the UK column experiencing a particular type of cyber attack at the moment, which we're dealing with. Uh, so cyber is still going on. But in the meantime, of course, the big aspect here is the information war, which continues and the UK government uh, waging that war, not only on uh, foreign countries, but also on its domestic population as well, uh, while at the same time claiming that Russia is and China to some degree uh, are uh, pursuing an information war in the other direction. So uh, that's really my focus for, for this year uh, in the review of the year. The online safety bill, uh, of course, is uh, one aspect of this. 
uh, in the UK, uh, but it's not the only aspect of it. We've been systematically bombarded with uh, propaganda <clears throat> on every government Twitter feed, on every uh, mainstream media article, which uh, doesn't challenge the government narrative in any way, shape or form. Um, but, you know, the, the online safety bill is the culmination of a process that began in 2017. Uh, we produced a timeline, which is still on the UK Column website. If you go to uh, ukcolumn.org slash censored, uh, which takes everybody through the process that the British government uh, took to lead globally, lead this process of shutting down counter narratives uh, on the internet from 2017, in fact, going prior to that, David Cameron in, in the UN General Assembly, but mainly from 2017 onwards, um, we saw the establishment of uh, the uh, sort of relationship between government and the online uh, the tech companies. We saw the establishment of the relationship between government uh, and the uh, newspapers and media outlets. Uh, we saw uh, the establishment of so-called trust organizations, uh, cartels of media organizations getting together to build uh, this idea of trust, that they are trusted sources, that you can trust everything they say and don't have to do any uh, critical thinking or any criticism of what they say, uh, but also the rise of the fact checkers, particularly since 2017. Uh, many of them, uh, obviously full fact is, is one in the UK, which is uh, working hard with Facebook and others, uh, but uh, there are many other fact checking organizations as well. But the other uh, potentially even worse aspect of this is if we look at Ukraine and look at what's been going on there, the establishment of the so-called counter disinformation organizations, including that horrendous website, Merit Verets, uh, which is effectively a kill list uh, and, um, you know, very happy to, to uh, place the word eliminated uh, over the photographs of anybody that any journalists or others uh, that have uh, been killed over the last uh, eight or 10 months. Um, and this organization, this website, seem, seemingly backed by the West, uh, and but certainly given approval by the West uh, and to exist, even though it's emblazoned across the front with death to the Russian invaders, so calling for uh, people's deaths. So we've got a whole host of things going on there. If we look at the online safety bill for, for a second itself. Uh, it, of course, has uh, had its troubles, uh, mainly because of other uh, internal Conservative Party problems, which meant that they haven't been able to pursue their legislative agenda as quickly as they, as they would have liked to. Um, <clears throat> and uh, one piece of success, I suppose, campaigners can uh, claim is the fact that the UK government has been forced to to drop this notion of uh, legislating for content which is uh, legal but harmful. Um, so they've dropped that at least in its definition as it was, uh, which was particularly dangerous because, of course, the definition of what is legal but harmful content was being left to secondary legislation. So that was something which is going to come after that became an act of parliament uh, and legislation which would then be brought in via statutory instruments. So that was all uh, dropped, apparently. Uh, but what they replaced it with uh, was the idea that uh, pushing, push, or at least giving a statutory foundation for the, re the requirement for social media companies to enforce their terms and conditions. Uh, 
Um, so most social media companies, uh, terms and conditions are completely arbitrary and flexible as to what they uh, consider to be uh, content which is within its community guidelines and what isn't. Uh, and what the online safety bill will do is to uh, require uh, social media companies to enforce uh, those terms and conditions uh, with the threat of a absolutely massive fine uh, from Ofcom if they are deemed by Ofcom to not have done that. Um, so uh, the online safety bill slightly watered down in the censorship aspect, uh, but still has teeth, very much has teeth. Uh, but uh, that's only if you're not a um, an official media or press outlet, because of course, if you are, your speech is protected. <clears throat> and the reason for that is because, of course, as we already mentioned, uh, government and the press are without question in bed together. Now, uh, the other thing that I just want to remind everybody about the online safety bill uh, is that it's not just uh, freedom of speech that is being curtailed by it. It's also uh, the right to communicate in a private way because end-to-end -end encryption uh, will be banned by uh, the online safety bill should should that particular uh, bill uh, pass muster and, and there's no sign that it won't. Um, so that is a, particularly, a particular threat as well. Um, but the point here is mainly that uh, the, the sort of hybrid war aspect of, of our current existence is very much something which is, is uh, ongoing. Uh, I think uh, 77 Brigade and their likes are active um, and making sure that, uh, that government narratives are, are amplified while uh, silencing anything which is uh, critical of government narratives. Um, and um, do I take it? Do I take it with that? Mike was silenced. <laughs> um, that's that's a shame. I'm back again. Are you back again, I'm, Mike? I'm back again. I, yes. Yeah, sorry about that. I don't know. I don't know where I dropped. Where did that drop? Uh, yeah, yeah. You're just talking about the online uh, legislation and yeah, and people mm -hmm. being silenced. You were talking about the authority silencing people. It was it was a pretty apt break. Right. So, so, uh, so. Anyway, my point is that the the hybrid, the idea of hybrid uh, warfare, uh, is is still uh, this is still an active hybrid war. I believe uh, certainly on the information war, but also on the tech war. Because as a, 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 you may not have heard, but I was mentioning the fact that the other thing the online safety bill does is is uh, is stop uh, online end to end encryption. Uh, so, so private messaging. Uh, truly, private messaging would be uh, would be uh, made illegal under that legislation. So, so I don't know what what other people's thoughts are on this. Uh, I know Patrick, you've got some strong views on this. Sure, sure. The first thing to point out is we you know we we have to start calling these things what they are, and the the title online safety is a total gaslighting exercise. They're using the whole concept of child safety uh, issues online uh, in order to bring in a more broadly uh, reaching umbrella over all speech. So this is a centralization of speech control. This is what fact checking is. This is what this legislation is. And you know you can't have if you don't have free expression in a society, you cannot have democracy. The two things 
cannot uh, be, coexist. So you need free expression in order to have a democratic system. So you have to read this in that the authorities, the establishment, are no longer interested in uh, democracies or anything even approaching that, or whatever, constitutional republics, democratic forms of government. Without free expression, there is none. Because you can't tap down bad ideas. You can't tap down bad policies. And you're wondering, how are these people still in power after they've got everything wrong? They've got everything wrong throughout the so-called pandemic. They've gotten everything wrong on their overseas military adventurism. Their foreign policy is bankrupt. The monetary policy is bankrupt. So how can these people stay in power? Not one person has been sacked. Not one person is, not one set of policies has been voted out with the person. How is that possible? That's possible through the centralization of speech control. This is what they did during COVID. This is why the vaccine debacle was never uh, derailed. It's because of this specific issue. So if this becomes law, if this becomes the law of the land, then you, know, you can expect to have more of the same, more failed policies, less democracy. In that sense, you can't more under control. And more more control. You can't underestimate yeah. the Twitter files, the the reveal by Elon Musk. Say what you want or whatever you think about Elon Musk. This was a major sea change in the conversation because we see the evidence of the collusion of government and Facebook and Twitter and Google and all of the so YouTube, all the social media companies taking instructions on censorship, taking down tweets, deplatforming accounts directly between government and big tech corporations, including the British government government who happens to have their man sitting in Facebook in the name of Nick Clegg. Okay, <laughs> So as their global affairs, head of global affairs, and then Twitter as well. So this, this whole situation is totally beyond the pale. And it, it really doesn't deserve that these, these efforts by government do not even deserve to be dignified by the lousy titles and gaslighting terms they've used to describe their own laws and policies because it is just a farce. We are going to be shut down, of course, uh, but those that have got an approved agenda are going to be able to speak out. And I think you're going to move on to uh, Ukraine here and our old friend Zelensky. Right. Yeah. So, uh, look, looking back on this year, there's so many massive stories. We've covered hundreds of stories, literally hundreds. And uh, so, but sometimes the best ones, uh, they just come in right at the, the deadline of the year. So uh, I watched this, everybody, some people watched this scene in, in Congress yesterday. Yeah. And um, we'll, we'll, we'll play this video and we'll talk over the top of it. But uh, U.S. Congress was graced with the presence of uh, the world president, uh, Volodymyr Zelensky, who uh, uh, got snuck out of Ukraine via Poland to Rammstein on, on, on a military jet or whatever. And here he is, the first person to address Congress in a sweatshirt. Okay, he probably had his luggage stolen by the uh, Biden's nuclear waste minister, but nonetheless. So here he is, he's uh, declared victory. Uh, he's saying that the $100 billion is an investment in democracy and we're going to save you from the Russians. And he's given his Ukrainian flag here, signed by all the Azov battalion. Uh, members and the Ukrainian military from Bakhmut, apparently. And here we have, so, shouting nationalist slogans in U.S. Congress, holding up a Ukrainian flag. And this is just beyond the pale. This has to be a low point in United States history. Can you imagine this happening in the House of Commons, Brian? What? Well, well unfortunately, I can. If we <laughs> haven't quite seen it yet, it's going to happen. But, Patrick, I, I've read there has been a little bit of backlash from 
some people uh, there's, on this particular. There's been, there's been loads, but the yeah. important thing is, we'll talk about that in a second, but this is a spectacle. All you're seeing here is a spectacle. These spectacles are commodities, and this is used to drive the news cycle and to drive these policies this week, and they could just as easily, all these people will drop him like a bad habit yeah. next week. But this, this is a cynical fundraising trip by Zelensky because he knows damn well that the U.S. House is going to change power in two weeks. So the Republicans will be in. They want to audit the, the aid to Ukraine. They want to know where every dollar is being spent. And so it's not going to be a blank check. He knows that. He's come in here to try to re, uh, reinforce his sort of plea for, you know, the Ukraine being yeah. the 51st state of America. And here they're giving him uh, the U.S. flag that was uh, waved over the Capitol this morning to, in honor of his visit. And so this guy in the sweatshirt is parading around the U.S. Congress. Watch, he'll do a victory lap. Three hundred would give him a standing ovation. It is just the most ridiculous scene you can imagine. I mean, this guy, you know, the, the vanguard of his military forces are Nazis, right? And so, and he's shouting, Slava Ukraini in Congress. You know, and th this is where the United States has come to. This is the, to me, this is the telltale sign of an empire in decline. Because yeah. they're, they're all in the same echo chamber. They all think Ukraine's on the verge of winning. They all think they just give them another 50 billion and that will be it. We're gonna put Putin out of business, regime change in Moscow, and the end of Russia, period. We just need to keep pumping the money in. Meanwhile, people are starving in the United States. People are going to fuel poverty in Europe. And this is how the U.S. reacts. Where's Europe? Where they're not giving any money? Well, it's all coming from the U.S. So absolutely. Th this is a total bankrupt situation. This is the lowest of the low. Yeah, the so. the uh, European economy, of course, smashed partly to the benefit of the state. So we're in a very interesting situation. Uh, Vanessa, you're going to come in in just a minute, but I wondered whether you wanted to add some comment there to uh, Patrick's analysis of uh, Zelensky in Congress and getting his kisses. Well, yeah, I mean, I don't think it's a sign of the decline of empire. I think it's a sign of the death of empire, hopefully. I think we've gone through the decline years and I think we're in the last stages of uh, a, a dying beast right now. And, you know, the level of depravity and corruption that is now coming to the surface is again an indication of, um, you know, a, a beast that is on its last legs, we hope. <laughs> yes, we hope, we do hope. May, may I just add, the money, yeah. the money that's being pumped into Ukraine, they, they're now admitting more or less yeah. openly that there's tens of thousands of dead Ukrainian troops, many of them conscripts that have been dragged, teenagers, 60-year-olds, dragged out of their homes, forced to the front line to sit in trenches and all, die, and die, a la yeah. World War I. Okay, so this is a totally immoral war for all the UK ministers cheerleading this, for all the NATO countries cheerleading this. You're looking at sort of plus 50,000 dead Ukrainians. That's a conservative I, I think, estimate. I think, it's, I think the 100,000 figure is correct, well, Patrick. It, it, That's my And instinct. injuries and casualties, you're into yeah. 200,000. Totally immoral. Is this where the West has come to yes. in 2022? Is this where we're at in the 21st century to basically cheer on this meat grinder and then throw billions hundreds of billions of dollars at it and the only people benefiting from this are defense contractors who are manufacturing the munitions that are getting spent by the day so it's it is just 
an well, incredible your, situation. Your passionate, Patrick, as everybody should be, because this war is an utter disgrace. And of course, many British politicians have, in, uh, have been involved, whether it's Boris Johnson or Ben Wallace or the other cheerleaders for war. Uh, just bring Alex in very briefly, if I may, because Alex, we had a very interesting discussion uh, last night. That was your good self and David and uh, myself, and we were talking to millennial woes, but one of the issues that we got onto was the war in Ukraine and what we thought was happening. And uh, we, we have to watch the time a little bit today, but we're gonna go through and more or less take as long as it takes for today's news. But um, just be a little bit uh, circumspect on it. We started to discuss where the policy was coming from and the fact that policy for the war was a beyond the nation state. It certainly was, Brian, and uh, we were talking about quite a number of aspects of the Ukraine war. People can go to the homepage, ukcolumn.org, and find the uh, link there to the talk. It was well over an hour that you and David and I spent there. Um, as well as having looked at the economic side of the war, we discussed in some detail, uh, sadly Ian Davis is not joining us today, but we discussed his article uh, who wants a multipolar world order part one and we use that as excellent food for thought and data points to say well the jury is out on how compromised Vladimir Putin may have been in the past with his dalliance with western or global power structures that's beside the point and I know that Vanessa's next in her own segment and is is uh, you know very convicted on this point she's, she's done a, a serious study of it and worked with Russians of various professions more than any of us including me as a former spook in recent years. So Vanessa's the uh, the authority among us here. And what we conclude is, is, is that uh, even though it, it, Putin is due at some point to hand over to a successor, his personal convictions are not really the matter. The question uh, is more like, you know, what does the civilization in question want? And we have to concede that the Russian civilization and the countries that are in that orbit are much less perverse in what they're doing to their young people and the whole of their population and their elderly than we are in the West. At the same time, there is clearly uh, a, a financial layer headquartered at the Bank for International Settlements, the City of London, Manhattan, and some European secondary centres, which is uh, colluding with Russian economic and financial structures un under the nose of people up to the level of Putin, C and other uh, Eurasian strongmen uh, to agree that digital identity is still going to be the basis of whatever new world order emerges. So the question of multipolarity is not mutually exclusive with the idea that there will still be a, a single dominant financial structure and that people even in the eastern adversary countries of ours uh, are still going to be struggling with that even if they come out on top militarily. We encourage people to go and have a look at that interview with uh, Millennial Woe. It should be up by now, but it was a very, very interesting discussion. We did discuss some other subjects. Now, Patrick, where do you want to go to this extra, <laughs> this excellent meme, which made Gosh, me laugh. Go ahead. <laughs> this made me laugh, so we pop it up on screen. Do you, do you want to give it for the uh, people listening in to the UK column? What have we got? Sure, there's, there's, there's so many memes uh, after Zelensky visited Congress yesterday, but um, this one's been doing the, the rounds for a while. This is uh, Vladimir Zelensky saying, I just earned uh, 10 billion uh, last month working from home, ask me how. So it's just kind of like the sort of things you see on social media all the time. But yeah, it, it, it's just beyond a joke. So, I mean, there's but, just an endless. But of course, this one's true, isn't it? So, you know, we've got to be, we've got yeah, to give it credit. It'll credit. be a trip. 
trillion by the time we are talking about this next year. So, um, yeah. So what about your predictions? Predictions, you know. What do you reckon? I, I, made a, I make a lot of predictions every Christmas in the 21st century where we do a very long year in review and then predictions and trends for the, for the coming year and comment on politics, uh, technology, the economy, things like that, cultural stuff as well. Um, so uh, last year I predicted about climate lockdowns, the fall of Boris Johnson, uh, the U.S. midterm elections would go haywire. Uh, so there's a few things in there, um, but generally I want to say that I, I saw 2022 from my personal point of view as, as the great awakening year. 20, that I really felt like there were uh, people who I would never have had yeah. uh, any kind of co uh, conversations with about these deep issues um, are now coming into kind of a mainstream conversation. We're seeing a bleed over with people who uh, do GB News and what, with the material that we cover and you yeah. know, other mainstream things. So that's the, so I see 2022 as the Great Awakening. So then what's 2023? A continue of the Great Awakening, but the Great Realignment. And so the great realignment means a reorganization of networks. You're going to find allies that you wouldn't have imagined that you'd be allies with in, in previous years, and a reorganization of real social networks. And so old wounds are going to come up with the 2024 election. That election cycle begins in April. So Trump will be back, and you'll have all this anti-Trump stuff coming, uh, yeah. dominating the, the media and stuff like that. So old wounds, but I think a fundamental trans formation. And also the Julian Assange uh, issue, I think there's going to be a change. There's going to be some kind of a break in that just because we've seen a lot of forces in, in the mainstream media uh, hinting that the Biden administration needs to drop charges on this. So uh, certainly in a, in a run-up to the 2024 election, the, the Democratic left in America will want to recapture some of the, the centrist left. And Julian Assange, that issue does represent a lot of those people. So, so there could be a change on the Assange front, uh, uh, an acquittal or uh, pardon or something like this. Yeah, but this is, an this is an encouraging view, Patrick. We're yeah. talking about more turbulence, aren't we? But we're also saying that people within that beginning to wake up and find other people. Mm. And of course, it's that That's networking, right. which is the key thing. Yeah. Brilliant. Yeah, strength in, in different numbers, bigger numbers, and more diverse points of view coming together on issues that are important to everybody. Yeah. So I think that that's just going to increase. That's the great realignment. Okay, Patrick, thank you very much for that. Well, let's get the uh, ladies involved. And uh, Vanessa, you've been waiting patiently there. Um, situation in Syria. I'm going to say I took the opportunity just to pick a little slide for you. I hope you don't mind, but this one just caught my eye. I think it was really the little girl, but the buckets of water there. It was from India. Uh, this was India Bloom, but Syria needs rise amid deepening humanitarian and economic crisis. And of course, you're in the country and you're seeing the suffering of Syria. What are your thoughts really this Christmas? Um, difficult to express. There's a, there's a photo doing the rounds uh, on social media at the moment of uh, taken from behind of Santa Claus carrying a very small um, um, bag full of not very many presents and a young kid that we see regularly having exited one of the big metal rubbish bins that you find everywhere in the streets uh, in Damascus carrying an even bigger bag full of rubbish that he's taking home either to eat 
um, or to sell on the plastic or the metal or the, the empty uh, water bottles or whatever. And I think, you know, this very much for me um, epitomizes what's happening and what Christmas is going to be like <laughs> this year in Christmas. Uh, sorry, in Syria. Um, I don't want to keep harping on about the fact that, you know, we don't have electricity, there's no heating, etc. But it's a dark winter here. It's a real dark winter. And I think what I wanted to focus on, I wanted, first of all, to thank all the people who have taken the time to write to their MPs. And I just want to give an example um, of one lady whose name, I assume I can say it, Brian, first name? I would. Yeah, um, Heather, um, who took the time to write to her MP, although she had misgivings, which were then um, borne out by the reply. And I just want to quickly read through the reply, because I'm guessing a lot of people are going to get a similar response if they get a response at all. So first of all, this is saying, thanks for your email. Um, he does address her by her name, which she says is, is unusual. While I note your strength of feeling on this matter, the UK will not consider lifting sanctions in Syria until the Assad regime ceases brutalizing its own people and regularly committing atrocities and violations of international law. This evidenced by the UN Commission of Inquiry ongoing reports. UK sanctions are designed to hold the regime to account. Well, I've proven time and time again that that is entirely untrue. They are illegitimate, illegal, unlawful, unilateral uh, sanctions that target the people as a nation. Um, and to encourage Assad to engage in the UN-facilitated political process. The designations are carefully targeted, not true, and applied only where there is ample evidence to demonstrate culpability. Again, totally untrue. To guard against unintentional impact on civilians, UK sanctions include humanitarian provisions such as licensing grounds and exceptions. You might also be interested to know that ministers and officials engage with international NGOs to minimize overcompliance. Now, first of all, we know who those um, international NGOs are and that they form part of um, the international imperialist um, complex. But also, I mean, I'm assuming that the majority of these MPs are simply regurgitating what they're being told. And I'm thinking that instead of simply dropping the subject when we get a response like this, um, I don't know what Brian and Mike think, but I, th should there be some coordination between those that are writing to their MPs and myself through UK Column in order to be able to respond and to keep the dialogue going? Because I, I, I would really like to not see it end with a kind of, um, you know, script that is probably being amended slightly and then sent out to anyone that is bringing up the idea of sanctions. Um, then let's look at the latest figures released by the Syrian Foreign Ministry that due to U.S. operations in Syria, there is basically 111.9 U.S. dollars billion in losses. Direct losses are estimated at $25.9 billion. So this is since 2011. $19.8 billion from the US theft of oil and gas. $3.2 billion in damage to state establishments. And of course, that can be also by proxy through the terrorist forces. And $2.9 billion in damage to oil and gas establishments. 
Um, and then indirect losses at $86 billion, so fallout effectively from the effect of sanctions and the war itself. And what I, if I want to predict um, anything, sadly it's not going to be a very optimistic prediction for Syria. We have incoming now um, the pushing through of what they're calling the Captagon Act. Now the Captagon Act is allegedly targeting drug production in Syria of the drug um, Captagon, which was sort of invented in the 1960s um, as to help people with uh, epilepsy, ADHD, etc. It's effectively um, an amphetamine. Now, the reality on the ground here is who, who is producing the Captagon and who has consistently produced the Captagon are the armed groups, the terrorist forces that are under the control of the U.S. So in areas controlled effectively by the U.S., either directly or indirectly by terrorist groups, including Al-Qaeda, they are the ones producing the Captagon and supplying it to the armed group fighters inside Syria. And I, I have had multiple testimonies from Syrian Arab army soldiers, from local defenders of the fact that the terrorist forces were high on Captagon, even when you shoot up to 50 bullets, and this is part of one of the testimonies that I received, even when 50 bullets were shot into a suicide bomber, he kept walking forward, right? So, so this, you know, this is an incredible inversion of reality by the US under Biden. Now, what is my prediction? My prediction, sadly, is that they, they now recognize that the sanctions under their current form, even though they are probably the most barbaric and savage in history, unprecedented against Syria, now they're going to be ramped up even further. And this Camptagon Act is going to be used to, one, um, increase the inspections, for example, on any humanitarian aid that may be able to enter the government-secured areas in Syria. So those uh, convoys will be held up on the basis that perhaps they contain drugs, one. Two, is the U.S. going to start bombing sites that they claim to be drug production facilities? Very possibly. But of course, what will those sites be? Previously, of course, they were all Iranian militia sites, according to both Israel and the US. Now, what are they going to be targeting? Drug production facilities, as previously also they targeted alleged chemical weapon production facilities, of course. And instead, what they're going to be doing, of course, is targeting Syrian Arab army military sites and potential air defenses and weapon development sites, etc. So I think what you're going to see, my prediction is going forward, instead of seeing the US backing off and actually lifting sanctions, as was recommended by Alina Duhan, the, the special UN rapporteur, um, on the effects of unilateral sanctions. Um, you're not going to see them backing off because, of course, they don't care about the Syrian people. They want to crush the Syrian people. And they want an excuse to further militarily intervene in Syria to increase their military footprint in Syria to maintain their occupation of Syrian resources, particularly in the Northeast. And I think part of this also is a continuation of the war against Russia on different fronts. So my next prediction is that you're going to see a new front opening up against Russia, potentially in Mali, in Africa. There are um, there, there is talk of that now amongst uh, 
senior Russian military that they expect now the switch to be um, in uh, in Africa, but particularly in Mali. Um, and I think um, that we're going to see, uh, let's say, an expansion um, of the Western Front against Russia. And I think included in that, of course, is the increase in funding to Ukraine with no accountability. I recently put in um, uh, an FOI to ask the EU, to the EU audit, audit, uh, auditing agency, and effectively they came back to me with some fairly um, non-committal um, reports on, on funds that have actually gone into Ukraine, billions that have gone into Ukraine. I stipulated exactly the information I needed, and the response I had back was, we have nothing planned to look into what you're actually talking about. Um, so, as I said, while, while billions are being flooded into Ukraine, we have to ask the question, where are those funds going? Where are those weapons going? Is Ukraine nothing more than um, a reception hub from which those weapons are then being radiated out to new fronts against uh, Russia? And, and that uh, I would like to know what Alex thinks about that. I missed the last sentence, so if you could re just repeat that, Vanessa. Um, that basically what I think is that the, the weapons and the funding that is coming into Ukraine, which we know to be effectively a failed state, um, a crime syndicate state, or a state that has historically been used to launder um, US cash and EU cash, etc. Um, the weapons and the funding that is coming in, in my view, it's coming into a central hub, which is Ukraine. And the weapons are then either being sold on the dark web or they are then being maneuvered on to uh, new potential front lines, particularly against Russia, as I mentioned, in Mali. I think it's at least to be given the benefit of the doubt that that's what's going on. Uh, one of my caps that I wore at GCHQ was counter-proliferation. And I remember I had a very breathtaking afternoon once with a couple of chaps from other sections when we had a multidisciplinary brainstorm on how every contraband item, conventional weapons, children, body parts, drugs, uh, the whole lot was being brought into Europe from uh, all the neighboring continents, so North Africa, the Middle East, the Slavic world. And as you can imagine, the corridors all ran through two places, the Balkans and the Ukraine. Chechens being smuggled into Europe, into the EU, was uh, via the Ukrainian-Slovak border at that point, for example. And that infrastructure is very much there. It's been there for 20 years. Ukraine has been a byword for corruption and organized contraband in every illicit and nefarious domain for at least as long as Ukraine's been independent. In fact, in Soviet era, it was too. We have now seen people up to head of government and head of state level in the greater Middle East point the finger at Ukraine, most latterly as well, um, an, an African head of state, Nigeria. Uh, say that Ukrainian arms are destabilizing the Sahel. So the means, the motive, the opportunity, all the classic detective elements, all those boxes are ticked, right? The opportunities are very much there. And uh, Brian did remind me actually that uh, I should speak to the Ukrainians uh, in this episode, more, the more so now that you're pointing out that they're being exploited to bring export misery to other parts of the world. So I'll just say in a single sentence to the Ukrainians, Шановні українці, ми глибоко співчуваємо вашу ситуацію, але ви 
povini rodumite shovas explutaiuts zahidni propagandisti. So dear Ukrainians, we profoundly sympathize with your situation, but you have to grasp that you're being exploited by Western propagandists. Thank you very much for doing that. I think it's a very important thing that as we see these horrific wars going on, we do make, uh, make sure that our uh, viewers and listeners understand that while we may be um, going in one particular direction at one time, we have enormous sympathy for everybody that's been caught up in the war. And um, just to answer Vanessa's question about the MPs and letters, I think the thing that we must remember with uh, approaches to MPs is it has to be done on an individual basis where each individual is using evidence, factual information in their own words. As long as that happens, it's very difficult for the MPs to put up a block wall. Um, what they do very successfully is block anything that they think is a template letter. So we need very large numbers of people to have accurate factual information to send in their own preferably handwritten letter signed to their MP. And when the MP doesn't respond, they follow up. And when the MP doesn't respond, they then switch uh, to contacting the local party chairman because those are the people who quickly get very worried about who will and will not be elected. So that's my advice. Um, Vanessa, uh, if you want to just say two or three words to finish your segment, please do, but we need to move on through. Um, well, I think the only point that I wanted to make is um, there was a headline from uh, Save the Children, Britain's Poorest Families Living in Severe Hardship warns Save the Children. And then almost next door to it was a headline, UK's PM Sunak to announce 304 million in new military aid for Ukraine. Sunak has just appointed Mohammed Mansour um, as chief treasurer for the Tory party. There are some denials of that, but it appears to be true. Mansour worked uh, under Mubarak's corrupt uh, administration um, in Egypt. Uh, he has strong ties to Google, to Facebook, to Airbnb, to Caterpillar, that is working uh, in collaboration with Israel to destroy Palestinian settlements, um, etc. So he's clearly um, no newcomer to corruption. It's an interesting appointment. And um, looking at the money that's flowing from Sunak to Ukraine and the fact that Olena Zelensky did make a similar appearance um, in the House of Commons um, to Zelensky in Congress and did uh, speak in front of the Commons. I think this uh, indicates very clearly where we're heading with the current UK government. Yeah. OK, Vanessa, thank you very much for that. Well, um, Debbie. You have also been there, waiting there. Come on screen and, and show us your, uh, your glitter. I'm glad that you've taken the opportunity for a bit of Christmas bling because we need it, don't we? So um, tell well, us about the, the girls. And I know you've got a rogues gallery here to bring on screen. Well, I have. And um, thank you for the comments about my... And the reason that I put tinsel on my head is that I'm not the Statue of Liberty. I'd like to think that I was a beacon of truth. But we used to put tinsel around our hats uh, as, as nurses. 
So it's a tradition that we've had for a long time. So that's what that's about. But yes, I just want to bring people's attention. You'd be really disappointed, wouldn't you? Everybody would be really disappointed if I didn't bring up a few familiar faces that I think we've seen a lot of this year and are probably going to see a lot of next year too. So just to remind everybody of what Dame June Rain looks like and Professor Susan Mickey and Professor Sa Dame Sally Davis and Baroness. And I've only been able to actually put a few of these ladies on screen for you because there are so many. But it's a case of what have these ladies done and what is going ahead for the future? And, and what I can see going ahead for the future is more of the same, worrying. So I've just done a couple of slides on really we're looking at digitization. Digitization is going to be huge going forward in this year. We're going to be looking at a complete collapse of the NHS, as though it hasn't collapsed enough already. Um, sadly, we're going to see hubs in on every high street, so whether it's a birthing hub, an alcohol hub, a drug hub, a surgical hub, a birthing hub. We're going to see all these hubs so that the idea is that you don't go to hospital. You know, there's no need for you to go to hospital because we're actually going to nurse you at home. We've got antimicrobial resistance. We predicted this uh, way before the news um, ever came out on the BBC. So I would urge people to keep uh, keep their finger on the pulse when it comes to UK column, because, you know, we do bring out the news much, much earlier before the likes of the BBC. And that's because we do so much research. So the UK is going to be an experimental area. We are going to be heading genomic medicine. That's going to be carrying on in the future. Um, we're going to be full steam ahead for life sciences. We're going to get personal budgets within the NHS. So that's something to look forward to for 2023. Um, and we're going to carry on getting medicine shortages. And that's a little bit worrying, actually, because the medicine shortages mean that mRNA is, is pretty much here to stay. So the, the disruption is going to intensify. Um, we're going to see more of it in 2023. And the more disrupted we become, the, the better they feel. So the whole thing is that we must not allow ourselves to be disrupted. But I think going forward, you know, on a positive note, it's be brave. And um, I did listen to Millennial last night uh, with Brian, David and Alex. And I think Brian ended on something extremely important, which was happiness, you know, because having faith in whatever you have faith in takes away fear. And if you're not fearful, you're allowed to be happy. And happiness is not what they want us to be, quite frankly. They want us to be frightened. They want us to be disrupted. They want us to be anxious. They want us to run to the doctors because we can't sleep and we're fearful. And I would say, you know, going back to what David said at the beginning, once you see, you can't unsee. Once you know, you can't unknow. Once you hear, you can't unhear. And I see these little Christmas trees lighting up with more lights on it than last year. And this is the great awakening. So I think for everybody, you know, be brave, say no. And um, for anybody that wants to look at some of the little extracts, because I know the June rain um, segment that we showed on the last news has gone completely crazy on Twitter. And I want to thank everybody behind the scenes at the column as well. People that the viewers and listeners don't see. Josie, Stephanie, Kenny, 
and Claire. And Kenny has got this amazing Twitter channel um, at Extracts UK, which is UK column extracts. So it's the, the handle is at Extracts UK. And you can catch all the little snippets there and then you can send them on because the little clip of June rain uh, went a bit crazy, which I'm really pleased to see. And thank you so much to everybody that's emailed and that's trusted UK Column with their stories and their experiences and their nightmares on, on, on many occasions. And just to say, we will continue to, to be the beacon of light. And if the World Economic Forum has got anything to go by, in 2023, we're looking at implantable technologies, so medical devices, big time. We're looking at digitization and blockchain. 2024, we're looking at 3D printing, uh, driverless cars. We're going to be looking at services. So, of course, you won't need to own anything because you can have a service from a car, have a service. You know, you can have a, a pod to stay in that won't be yours. And there's many more revelations to come on the column. So I've got a lot in the pipeline. So. Have a very happy Christmas, everybody, and as peaceful a new year as possible. And it is going to be difficult, but have faith, stay strong. We're all together and we smile and we're, we can be happy. Then that's really, really good. So have a lovely year and I look forward to a very interesting 2023. Any thoughts on any of that, gentlemen or ladies? They're all being quite well shy and well behaved, actually, today. I'm watching, I'm watching the faces. We're going to bring, if we're able to do it, we will be bringing everybody on, everybody on screen towards the end of the news. That's uh, what, what the little plan is. But how are you getting on there in those windows? I'm checking the faces. It's amazing. It's amazing. I've never known everybody so quiet. I'm going to say, Debbie, well done for taking us into the positive stuff. That's been utterly uh, brilliant. We're going to move on onto more positive things, but before we do, we just say the uh, the usual, really, which is thank you to everybody who's been supporting us. If you're not already a member of the UK Column and want to join in the community, please get on to the website and sign up with us. We've still got products in the shop, but of course we are going to be closing down for the Christmas period. So really, it's get in there in the new year and make us happy in January. And uh, the, the critical thing is, of course, to spread the information um, wherever you can. And obviously, and as Debbie has just said, many people are doing that. So well, well done to everybody who's sharing UK column facts and information. Now, another big thank you um, for the um, Hastings uh, Freedom Festival, which Katie Jo and her team set up in the, back in the summer. I want to say um, that we will be streaming out these video clips Monday the 26th of December, Wednesday the 28th, Friday the 30th. They will go out as a live stream in place of the UK Column News. And um, there's a lot in them. So there's a lot of people. There's many different bands playing music. It was a lot of fun to be there. Just some shots to say there was a whole range of music types and uh, everybody enjoyed it and they enjoyed socializing with each other right the way through the day and uh, into the night where things got um, loud and interesting under the cover of the uh, marquee there and uh, i believe our very own stephanie was bopping away in one corner but i won't say more about that and um, 
so we're going to use this as an introdu introduction to Katie Joe. Thank you very much, Katie Joe, for everything that you and your team did. Come and join us. It's great to have you back and uh, tell us what your thoughts are. Hello, everybody. It's lovely to be back on UK Column. I'm sorry I haven't been on for a while. I've been supporting my son on a Monday at Hope um, with his lessons. And um, we have just been so incredibly busy with events uh, since we came back after the summer. Um, we have a functioning kitchen now at Hope, so that uh, mate has made all the difference to our events. Um, we've been, since, oh, since uh, we came back in September, we've put on talks, we've had regular fundraisers, the latest of which I was involved in. That was uh, the weekend just gone. Um, we, it was the Isle of Wight Challenge and we were completing the entire coast of the Isle of Wight in two days. Uh, we managed to do the first half, the first leg of the, uh, of the uh, challenge, but we didn't manage to do the second half because we were all a bit broken. Um, it, was, uh, it was something else. I've never done anything like it before in my life. It took us about 12 hours um, and the last five hours took place in complete pitch black. Um, you couldn't see a thing. And uh, we climbed the two and a half thousand feet up to the needles right at the very end. So um, the last 35 miles, uh, the end were absolutely grueling. Um, it was minus seven wind chill and the ground was frozen solid. So the next day we were broken and we are going to be going back. But it was an amazing fundraiser and I'd like to thank everybody that donated. We managed to raise £1,480. Um, so we have just been, yeah, non-stop. We had the amazing Lucas Lyon who performed at the Freedom Music Festival, came and gave a fantastic rap workshop for the kids. Uh, we had a brilliant Christmas fair. Uh, right said Fred were there, Richard and Fred. Um, they were book signing of their for their latest book. Um, uh, we celebrated a wonderful winter winter solstice on Wednesday, just gone. Um, and uh, in 2023, we have so many more things lined up. A regular monthly bridge session with David Edelman. We have foraging workshops uh, monthly with Rachel. We even now have a low-cost homeopathic clinic uh, taking place at Hope. Um, and it's just just going to non-stop. We have Inspector Veg, who was at the uh, at the uh, uh, Freedom Music Festival that's coming back. So, yeah. We, we haven't stopped and that's the reason why I haven't been able to make the show. It's, uh, it's just been crazy. And if you want to find out about our events, then please do visit our website um, and contact us so you can, we can get you on the CRM or we have a Facebook page and a Telegram group. Um, so yeah, it's not been nonstop. Brilliant. Um, thank you very much for that and, and, and being so upbeat because we need more of this. Now, you have you have got one slide which has got a, a little bit of your view on what's taken place over the year. And if you've got a prediction for us uh, in any way, Katie Joe, we'd love to have that. OK, lovely. Well, um, this year, I think we've been totally and utterly gripped um, as we've watched the world and how the world has, de has dealt with the most draconian of measures and legislations. Um, and it's been hard to comprehend, I think, what other countries have had to put up with when really in the UK we've had it fairly easy in comparison. Um, and I wanted to pick something that... Um, 
has inspired me, I think, more than anything else this year. And that is the amazing Freedom Convoy protest that took place in February in Canada. Uh, even thinking about it now, I get quite emotional. It involved one of the biggest acts of unity the world has ever seen as the unvaccinated and vaccinated came together and stood together in freedom over body autonomy. Um, the protest gave such inspiration to others around the world and now, as the truth is beginning to shine through, people who were all for the invoking of the Emergencies Act are slowly changing their views. And the latest poll, I believe, it's 16% of people who were in favour of that uh, use of the Emergencies Act are now actually against it. Um, it's used by the, uh, the Canadian government. So uh, people like uh, um, Arthur Pulowski, Tamara Litch, Tom Mazzaro and MPs such as Pierre Polievra and uh, Maxime Bernier um, have all stood up for human rights and freedoms and they will all go down as uh, heroes, um, the heroes of our time in history. Um, Actually, I would like to mention the fantastic documentary that's on Rumble. Um, it's called Unacceptable Views um, that was published on the 2nd of December. And it's, it's a work of love for the truckers, convoy pro, uh, participants and freedom-loving Canadians. Um, I would advise anybody to go and watch it and share it with family and friends because there are still people out there that do not know about this incredible uh, freedom convoy. Um, so a prediction. I'm be the, <laughs> a prediction. Yeah, I'm going to be the, the voice of positivity, of, as always. We need one, don't we? Uh, I think the simulation systems are going to crumble sooner than we think. The healthcare system, the education system, the banking system, all these systems that have actually allowed them to accomplish the pandemic and get people to comply with utter insanity. Um, are as unstable as a game of Jenga when balanced on two crossed bricks at the bottom. Um, the crumbling has started already. We are seeing the truth start to come out in the mainstream media and we don't have to fight too much for this to happen. Instead of wasting energy on fighting, we create. Um, I have been creating um, community for the last three years now, now nearly, and um, it's been incredibly uplifting and empowering. And my prediction for 2023 is that obviously times are going to be tough, but if we spend our energy creating a parallel society and our own reality, we will be prepared when it all comes crashing down. Um, we don't need their systems. They've just led us to believe that we do. And you are not helpless and you don't need rescuing. That's my message. So stand in your power and stand up in 2023. Brilliant. Uh, Katie Jo, thank you very much for that. Many people in the chat box saying that you look very well, which indeed you do. And uh, thank you for coming back and giving us uh, that really positive boost. We just add with the thanks really around Hastings by thanking Sam and Luke Harvel for all the work that they did in producing the videos and subsequently editing them. And of course, when those videos are played out for you over the holiday period, so that's next week, you will be able to see their excellent work. Now, I'm, I'm going to invite Alex to uh, come on screen and take us through uh, the things that he's thought particularly particularly important this year having trouble with my words apologies for that and uh, Alex when we've done your segment I think we'll try and see whether we can bring everybody on screen I've got a few things I'd like to say but I'd be particularly keen to see the reactions of everybody and perhaps we can get a little bit of interaction between ourselves 
as, a, as an ending for the news today. But uh, first of all, Alex, take us away with uh, events in Holland. Well, as I live in the Netherlands, Brian, I thought that I'd make both my retrospective and my prediction something to do with the Netherlands and what the distinctive Dutch contribution to the fight against tyranny has been this year. And I thought I'd tie it into the earlier segments, not that I knew about those before the news, uh, but uh, we've heard a lot uh, this, already this segment, that this, this news about uh, how we're going to be increasingly denied communication on the internet and also how we uh, get little joy from petitioning our elected representatives, although we continue to have to do so because they work for us and we shouldn't let them forget it. Uh, but the Dutch are distinctive in Western society terms in many ways. Uh, that they, industrialization, modernization came late. They cope with it rather better and lost a lot less of their conscience and their communal action ability than comparable societies like the English-speaking world. And he was a very good example of that. Uh, as uh, autumn dragged on and Pride Month, which originally was just June, became Pride season. And as you can see from the photo here, uh, it was already getting late in the year by this point. Uh, what happened was every Dutch council, every municipal office was ordered to display uh, some billboards all around the council offices so that if you had any business with your local council it looks more like you were being billboarded by the Gomorrah tourist board than by your local municipal council but unlike much of the rest and the rest of the western world where people just said "Ooh, I don't like that or wrote letters of complaint Dutch parents decided to get some old-fashioned paper and pl plaster it over the disgusting and uh, child abusive images uh, with the message unsuitable for our children. They, I think the term these days is they rediscovered their agency. And a lot of uh, us in other parts of the world who are having this done to us, one thinks of Wales, for example, where the mothers have lost round one of their judicial review just yesterday, but are carrying on. We could learn from this. The Dutch just do it. You know, they, they don't push things to the wall. Uh, they just uh, express sensible opinions. They're world leaders at it, and we can learn from them. The very last segment we had, of course, was from Katie Joe discussing a, a similar situation um, in Canada to what we've had in the Netherlands, namely the expropriation of uh, farmers in the Netherlands being paralleled with the uh, interdiction of uh, truckers' bank accounts in Canada. People have seen those as two pioneering World Economic Forum puppet countries uh, abusing their own best people and the people who keep the country ticking over financially. Uh, what's interesting there, and this is my next slide, is that the Dutch uh, have been, should we say, more understated than the Canadians in some ways, but no less severe. So Gerard de Boer is a little-known Dutch blogger who was one of the few this year to point out that, and this takes different forms in different countries, um, the Dutch re-invoked a post-Second World War piece of legislation, the Population Movement Law, that is uh, obligatory resettlement of the 10th of July 1952. Uh, on April Fool's Day, no pun intended this year, because of the inundation of uh, refugees, asylum seekers, migrants and everything in between, this 1952 law was re-adopted uh, or uh, put back in force, shall we say, which as the red underlining on the screen shows at the end of Article 7, uh, allows for people to be obliged to quarter and maintain uh, those who have been obligatorily moved, potentially meaning that you have to receive into your home uh, or your other facilities uh, people who have been uh, imported to your country. Now, if you tap that again, uh, we will see that the other thing that was going on 
during the year, which people are even more aware of now, is the nitrous oxide uh, based expropriation orders, uh, which have now got to the stage that Carolina von der Plas, the Minister for Nitrous Oxide, there is one. Scotland has a social justice minister and a fair future minister, but the Netherlands has a nitrogen minister. Uh, she's now issued this uh, last ultimatum, uh, take the money, move to a different part of the country, stop farming in the way you're doing, or in the last instance, we'll march onto your fields. So here, a Dutch farmer with an inverted flag protest was ironically uh, signalling in the summer, summer this warning that you are now entering um, a very hazardous nitrous oxide emission zone, otherwise known as a farm. Uh, of course, what's behind this is that, uh, if we go to the next slide, uh, parts of uh, the Netherlands have been told they're going to be rezoned. And here's my main point, really, about what we can learn from the Netherlands. Uh, this is Geert Hampton Bolser, who is a member of the Provincial Council, the County Council in the eastern rural province of Oberijssel, next door to the rural province where the, the, the parents pasted that uh, uh, censorship of the uh, of the Sodom and Gomorrah imagery. And Mr. Tenbolser has said that no uh, farmer is going to be expropriated in his region. It is the provincial councils, and this is parallel in much of the rest of the world, certainly the Western world with WEF um, controlling them most. They're going to have to expropriate. They're the, the, the ultimate stop. Um, farmers in the Netherlands got some publicity rightly this year. Uh, it was reported in the regional press as well uh, that what was really behind this was an expansion of the mega city that there already is in the Western Netherlands, the Randstad, Amsterdam down to Rotterdam, so that it would become a three or four country mega city, much like what Mark Anderson was reporting regarding the five coastal African states, West African states with a strip city uh, appointed by the global cities people uh, in, the, in order to do a deliberate end run around national sovereignty. This has now come to Europe. So you can see that this is what the, the, the fuss is about. There's one more uh, element of that slide if you tap it, uh, which shows just how much is uh, at stake here. Uh, all the famous Dutch cities are going to become, if this goes ahead, some kind of ring or loop. But crucially, don't give up hope, you know, because this, this is unlikely to happen just where you live. Even if you're in the Netherlands, for example, you can see if you're not in that corridor from Amsterdam down to Antwerp and Brussels and across to Germany, you're going to be left alone. And I've spoken to farmers in many parts of the Netherlands who uh, have assured me that their county councils are quite determined to keep fostering them, which gives me this point of hope, really. Fear not, as a rather frightened owl points its, uh, pokes its head out of its nest in a, in a gnarled old oak. Uh, it's one of UK Column's favourite messages, and it's not just based in um, airy-fairy ideas or even just in spiritual convictions of faith. Even a cold, hard, rational look at the situation tells you that, OK, maybe one part of Europe, namely the part I'm talking to you right from, the central Netherlands, is going to be turned into a strip city with tens of millions of people from other parts of the world moved into it. But right next door to it, you're going to have people just of the kind that Katie joe has been talking about, gleefully bringing up their own children, saying no to every agenda there is. And the Dutch are pretty organised at this kind of thing, actually. They do it on a bigger scale uh, than most of the rest of the world. And there's no reason at all why we can't copy them, even if we're right under the noses next door to one of these strip cities. Alex, thank you very much. Uh, what's, your, what's your prediction? Where, where is all this going? What I predict is related to that, really, and uh, it's similar to one of the predictions I made in a previous year, which is that at some point one of the German federal states is going to secede, and I predicted Saxony. Well, I'm going to adapt that prediction for this year, and with specific relevance to the Netherlands, I'm going to say that, uh, and I don't say this out of thin air, but because I have links with some uh, politicians uh, of note in various parts of the country, at some point during this year, 
coming up. Uh, one of the provinces, at least of the Netherlands or counties, if you prefer, provincies, is going to operate what used to be known as the doctrine of interposition or state uh, nullification to the Americans. It is going to say to The Hague, we don't care what orders you've got from the World Economic Forum. We represent the people of this province and we are going to defy your orders. Even if that means breaking statute law, which is the only basis a county council has for legality anywhere in the world, I think they're going to do it. Uh, I'm increasingly convinced talking to the men, and they are you know, largely because it's a Christian conservative setup. It's mainly men who are in these elected offices. They do consider that they've reached that point now. Uh, and you know, many of us are lobbying them uh, to realize that there's a, a, a sound basis of that going right back to 1550, the confession of Augsburg, when some very middle of the road Lutherans told the emperor of half of Europe at the time, Charles V, you do not have a right to tell us what to do. We will interpose ourselves in the, into the danger between you as the high and mighty emperor and the people locally whom we represent. And we will say no when you're acting beyond your powers ultra vires. Another example of which, of course, is Birmingham, as you're about to come on to, uh, taking it upon itself as a local council to say thou shalt not pray silently. Somewhere in the world, most likely in the Netherlands this year, uh, a second tier or sub-national entity is going to say a direct no to the county, to, to the national authorities. Yeah, great. Uh, so that would be another positive step. Well, just for my own uh, segment towards the end of the news, and I've cheated, that's my prerogative because I've put the news order together, but I decided that I just wanted to flag up that back in October 2020 from the UK Column Studio, we were helping uh, Alternative View, Ian Crane's Alternative View, and the title of the talk I gave at that time was On the Rise of the Psychological State. And I'm going to say that I think actually I was spot on with uh, this particular uh, topic because really everybody in today's news looking back over 2022 is talking about the state taking more and more control of us, either by direct control of our minds and what we can and can't say, or um, by the fact that uh, more and more legislation is going to come, come in to take away the means to even speak in some cases. But of course, we should have known because here we are in May 2013, where the UK column was highlighting that uh, good old Francis Fraud, as Mort, sorry, as many people remember him, uh, was uh, talking about the implementation of the government's nudge unit. And this was the some of the early declaration by the Conservatives that they intended to use politicised psychology in order to achieve their political aims. But of course, look where it got us to so that uh, COVID-19, uh, we were able to see um, a poisonous mixture of this being used in order to keep people stressed and full of fear and anxiety and trapped in their homes. And again, UK column over the years has warned about the government documents mind space where it casually said that the application of their psychology means that citizens may not fully realise that their behaviour is being changed or at least how it's being changed. And this is really the meat of where we are. We are, we are in the middle of a dangerous covert attack on our minds, quasi-covert because it's breaking surface. And uh, we highlighted that even, I'm going to say, good people like Peter Hitchens um, becoming confused because here he was saying we're no longer such people. He's looking back in time at what sort of people we were. 
We're no longer such people or such a country. We've become muzzled, mouthless, voiceless, humili humiliated, regimented prisoners. So he's seeing it. But I'm going to just gently pop in here that Peter uh, didn't, he doesn't understand yet that he's actually describing an anti-Christ society. That is the reality, in my opinion, as to what's unfolding in this country. And we're now getting uh, real evidence of this, of course, by the fact that we now have rules which say that we can't pray. So the Irish Sentinel um, here, um, Ireland to introduce anti-prayer zones. And uh, this to me is a demonstration now of exactly where we're going. And uh, Alex has uh, given a little uh, sneak preview that I wanted to focus back on what I think the most important story of this year has been, which is this lady who was arrested for standing and praying. She was in the wrong place. Um, so, but she was praying and that meant that she was going to be arrested. Uh, she was uh, taken back to a police station where I believe she was subjected to a particularly unpleasant invasive search. And so we get another indication of where this is going. Uh, but what is the agenda? We have a state, we have the institutions of the state that want to ban prayer. Now, I my mind was taken back in time to the uh, to the talk with AV because at that time I'd seen a little clip of video which I thought was very pertinent because it was somebody explaining what this business about prayer was. So let's watch a very, very old or part of a very, very old BBC uh, clip um, which is from, <coughs> excuse me, 1971. Listen very carefully to what's said. We've edited it in order to, to bring out the meat of the subject, but uh, watch this little clip. And in some sinister way, it is possible for certain people to have a hold on some of the decision-making of this country through such things as blackmail and witchcraft. There are many other practices, but I think these are the most horrifying. Now, this sounds a little bit unusual. It could be taken by many people as just not being on, but I'm afraid it is on. And once you start taking part in this as a young person, all this can be very mentally upsetting. I became aware of the intensity of my thought, which could be very evil, and very effective. I think the best and the only real antidote is prayer. Um, it is a very powerful weapon, as these people themselves realize, of course, and are frightened of. So I don't think we could uh, put it better than that, because that uh, very, very interesting Salvation Army man was saying at the start of the clip that our decision makers are blackmailed using all sorts of measures, but including the dark arts in order to get them to run the agenda. And then the lady who'd survived a cult uh, was being asked about essentially what the cult members are frightened of and where does she end on the fact that they're frightened of prayer. So I'm going to suggest to our audience and I'm going to 
ask for comment from the uh, UK column team as a whole, um, what they think about it. I'm going to look in your direction, David, for a, an initial response to that clip. Well, it, it, it reminds me very much of what we were talking about on um, Monday, which was Dr. Re uh, Rebecca Crowther and telling the Scottish Parliament that um, it was wrong to think that prayer wasn't um, worse than electrical shock therapy, that it was it was equally harmful and uh, has to be you know uh, stamped out um, using the government, using state power, using new laws to do so. This is where the society is going, and this is where I think you're quite right. The the core part of the conflict is going to be uh, is is it going to be a, a society that, that follows Christ, or is it going to be a society that follows Antichrist? Okay, thank you for that, uh, David. Vanessa, I, I'm going to look in your direction, and uh, <laughs> what do you what do you feel? You may not agree. You may have other views, but uh, uh, that's the whole point of UK column that we're brave enough to put up what we think, and we're brave enough to discuss it. Does it does it does it make you think? Well, it, I mean, it's interesting to hear this because, of course, I live in the side of the world. Just as you were talking, the Azan uh, was sounding out from the three mosques in the area where I am. So I kind of live, eat, breathe prayer here in Syria, whether it's Christian or um, any of the denominations of Islam or any of the, um, the, the kind of minority sects that all live together in a very diverse society in Syria. And I think what this reminds me of, it, and, and this is where I will always take issue with um, analysts that are trying to say that, you know, we're all heading in the same direction and that there is no delineation between um, the state structures in the East and the state structures uh, in the West. I would heartily disagree because what is happening in Ukraine and what has been happening for a very long time is an existential war. Um, that's one of the reasons I live here, because people here are still um, very connected to the to the family. Um, um, what's the word? The, the, the entire family idea, right? Um, spirituality in whatever form it takes is everyone here is plugged into it that's why covid had very little effect here very little because there is a, such a very simple uh faith and belief in that whatever happens they'll deal with it the, the, the vaccine uptake in syria was was less than six percent <laughs> yeah um and, I, you know, what you're seeing, I mean, for example, I, I recently wrote this article on um, medically assisted death in, in Canada, which for me was absolutely horrifying. And if you're talking about um, Satanism, occultism, Nazism, then everything is being demonstrated by that, by that policy in Canada. In Russia, euthanasia under federal law is completely forbidden. That, that already, for me, when, when you look at the policies on the ground in Russia, there is a huge, huge chasm 
of ideological difference between, I'll just say Russians for now, but for me, the entire Eastern Hemisphere to the Western Hemisphere. In the West, families are being completely broken up. The elderly are being abandoned in care homes to die. In Scotland, it's being made easier to change your gender, right? In Canada, it's being made easier to be killed by the state because you're draining resources. The majority of these aspects, these what I call Dante's Inferno aspects of society, don't exist where I live. And they don't exist in Russia. They don't exist in Iran. They don't exist in the countries that are being deemed terrorist states or um, the, the access of evil by what is reality, the access of evil in the West. So for me, listening to these stories is kind of mind-boggling because it's so far removed from the society I've chosen to live in here. I, I can't even comprehend how the West has arrived at this point. I really can't. It's, it's just, it's, it's beyond me. Alex, do you, do you want to respond to that? Because I could see you uh, reacting to uh, Vanessa's comments. Yes, well, I'll keep it short and sweet. Uh, the epistle of James, uh, I think, is, is what comes to mind, because in the first chapter, we read in verse 20 that the wrath of man works not the righteousness of God, which is a retort I use increasingly to those who send me uh, chirpy, well, uh, chip on shoulder emails saying, why aren't you calling for insurrection? Why aren't you calling for the Dutch farmers and the Canadian truckers to do something really illegal? Well, that's why. If you want a righteous society, pray for it. Don't exert wrath uh, and express it. You'll just be a danger to yourself and others. And the final chapter of James is well known for the verse that the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man, and for those who take umbrage and say, what about Isabel? Righteous man means righteous person, historically. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous person avails much. It does seem that the enemies of all that UK Column stands for uh, don't cast scorn on such an idea. They're rather fearfully acknowledging such an idea. There is a great deal of power in prayer and faith. Okay, Alex, thank you very much for that. Well, I, I am watching the... Patrick, do you want to come in on that? I would love to comment yeah. on that. Thank you. Um, Go for it. I think it's, extra I think it's extraordinary, Brian, that the state, uh, the British state in this case, is so concerned about wellness and <laughs> mindfulness for the children and through the education system. I mean, what, 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 better, what better asset for wellness than prayer? I mean, it's just another obvious uh, uh, bit of hypocrisy and just a total disconnect by where the bureaucrats and the politicians and the, and the technocrats are heading or where they're wanting to drive us. So that, that's the first thing I'll put yeah. up. And to be fair to Peter Hitchens as well, he has commented on the, uh, the removal of Christianity from being at the center of British culture and yeah, other I, things. So I, he, I would give you he, that. He has acknowledged yeah. that in detail, but I would say you know, in the United States, uh, uh, God is enshrined or faith is enshrined, enshrined in the founding documents. It's in the Declaration of Independence. Um, it's in the Bill of Rights. Right, so it is. It's the basis of, of for the foundation of the United States constitutional republic democracy. Um, so they haven't yet been able to strip that out uh, in the United States. And so the day that they will, or they, they will move to do that, then you know that the, uh, uh, the the battle is well and truly on. The final battle, as it were. Yes. But um, but that's that's what I would say. Okay. Brilliant. Okay. Well. 
Um, where do we need to end for today's news? And I think there's only one place, and that's with a huge thank you to our audience. Before we pop anything else, oh, okay, we, we put that one on screen. So let's say the words. We, we really do want to thank all of our viewers and listeners and supporters. We say on the news on a daily basis that we couldn't have done what we've done without uh, the support of everybody, and that's absolutely true. We're going to say today... Uh, particularly be of good cheer, love one another. This is part of the message really uh, that uh, Alex was putting out there because looking after each other as a very wide community is not only good for us and uh, other people, but of course it ensures that we've got the power to react. Um, I also want to say that we've had many emails where people say to us, thank you for keeping me or thank you for keeping us sane and this style of email really makes us think because it shows us that people are not only valuing what we're putting out, but in fact, the UK column, many people say, is a lifeline for people who are really beginning to find the disruption around us to be very upsetting and frightening. So thank you very much for having the confidence to say those sorts of things to us. Uh, we respect it when you say you keep us sane. But Mike, I wonder whether you might like to join me because it's receiving those emails and other emails of encouragement from UK Column supporters that keeps us sane. So I don't... I... <laughs> well, it, it is, absolutely. But, but I would just like uh, to end by saying that uh, really encouraging because, you know, Patrick was very positive about where he thinks 2023 is going to go. Uh, Vanessa, when she was doing her uh, piece on Extra about the Syrian sanctions, was was using this term that Alex mentioned, agency, uh, reminding people that we all have agency. And, and so I just want to end by encouraging everybody in 2023 to start getting directly involved. And, and while it's true that lots of people are, are sending us positive messages and encouraging us to keep going, uh, we also need to be encouraging everybody else who if maybe is only using the UK column as a, uh, a, a way of finding out what's going on. Well, another way to find out what's going on is to get directly involved in campaigning. It doesn't matter what you're campaigning on, doesn't matter how you're campaigning, but get involved. Uh, Vanessa's given one, one place that she would like to see, it, see people getting more involved. But the key thing is that when people receive fob off letters from MPs, we cannot let it lie. We have to keep it going and we have to keep the pressure on. Uh, and uh, we should view ourselves a bit like, you know, the, the sea hitting hitting a cliff face. One wave doesn't do very much, but over a period of a longer period of time, the cliff eventually falls. We've got to we've got to see the same, you know, the same kind of consistent pressure from as many people as possible in 2023. And that's, that's how I feel about it. Yeah, brilliant. Okay, well, I'm looking for any hands that are going up, but uh, unless there's a hand to say that you've got something you'd like to add to the, uh, to, to, to dis <laughs> I'll get there in a minute, to today's <laughs> discussion. Oh, a hand has gone up from the Queen. Oh, I don't know about the Queen, Brian. I just wanted to say, you know, we really are making an impact. And what Mike just said there, you know, the one wave on the cliff, it doesn't make an impact. But you've seen what we've done with the MHRA. You know, we have disrupted 
disrupted the life of the MHRA. The board meetings are on, then they're off. We're recording them, then we're not. So, you know, this is all really positive and we do all have to stand up. So please, you know, write your letters, polite, concise, measured letters to the MHRA, to people that you really think need to hear you. Just keep on going because it really does make a difference. People say it doesn't, but I promise you it does. So keep on going. Brilliant. Thank you for that. And uh, just before I remind people when we will be back, because I know many people are keen to hear that, uh, I also wanted to say a big thank you to all the people who are behind the scenes at UK Column now. So Stephanie, of course, has made this possible today in the te technical room. Uh, we've also got Josie in the, uh, in the office and doing a lot of editing work. So that's really excellent. And also Kenny, um, who is doing all of that work with social media and uh, Claire who's come in to help us with the shop. So we are now starting to grow. I've hinted at good news for the new year, that still stands, but I'm making sure that the, uh, the T's are crossed and the I's are dotted before we tell you exactly what's going to happen with the UK column in the new year. But I will tell you it is good news as <coughs> good news. Um, so let's pop this up on screen. We will be back on the 2nd of January 2023. Thank you, Mike, for that particularly stunning image <laughs> of the lady. And uh, we thought we would end today's news by giving Katie Joe the opportunity to sing us out of 2022 and sing us into ultimately 2023. So thank you very, very much for everybody joining us today. It's been great to have you all together. Mark Anderson, we did miss you and you will be with us in due course. So uh, stay warm, tucked up in your bed there in America. Um, but uh, let's uh, leave this year with this wonderful clip from Katie Joe. Another made-up strain. Omnicron is the name. Yeah, just, it's yeah. time to unite and stand together. Here we go again. Don't be fooled by the hidden agenda. It's just a final stab to push their evil jab. They're filling you with fear and the
Well, there we are. We feel better for that. We hope you do. So I'm going to ask the team to uh, say goodbye with a cheery wave. Thank you, everybody that's done well, everybody that's supported and done things with the UK column. Thank you all for these brilliant cards. We've got a whole desk covered with Christmas cards. There's many more next door and uh, what a boost for us. So we're going to wave and say bye bye. Thank you very much for joining us and we'll be back in the new year. I hope.